We begin tonight with the case of Jean Moore. Jean was 59 years old the night of her disappearance from Laughlin, Nevada in April of 1992. Jean and her fiancé Al had been together for 20 years before he proposed, but when he did, she immediately said yes. The two seemed happy from the outside looking in, but according to Jean's children from a previous marriage, Al wasn't the man he claimed to be. From the transcript of the Unsolved Mysteries episode about the case, Jean's daughter Connie said, The longer I knew him, the less genuine he seemed. I know he said that he loved her many times, but he also had a habit of putting her down in front of other people. And to me, that just doesn't sound like love. Jean's son, Joe, also said, When your mother asks you to be nice to someone who they like, you go along with it, but I still try to talk my mom out of being around the guy. Despite Jean's children waving red flags, she kept a relationship with Al going. A few months following their engagement, on the 6th of April 1992, the couple left Apple Valley, California, and headed to Laughlin, Nevada, a place referred to as a toned-down Las Vegas. A few days after their arrival on the 9th of April, Al dropped Jean off at the front of a casino at 9.45 that morning, as she wanted to give her favorite slot machine a few more tries. After she headed in, Al left to look for a parking spot, but couldn't find one. So he went to valet parking, received a ticket, and headed into the casino to find Jean and give her the ticket. He met up with her, gave her the ticket, and headed back outside to call a cab. When he couldn't manage to get one, he went back in to play the slots with Jean. Inside the casino, he found that Jean wasn't at her usual machine. His first thought was that she had gone shopping, so he stayed at the casino until 10.15, playing the slots. After that time, he went back to the hotel room to see if Jean had gone back in that time that he was at the casino. Al was at the hotel for about two hours before checking out and heading back to the hotel to look for Jean once again. When he arrived, he found her car still left with the valet. He looked through the lobby, the shops, and the gaming area, but couldn't find her anywhere. Jean was missing. For the next two days, Al asked around to everyone in the area if they'd seen Jean. He handed out flyers, offered a $25,000 reward, and of course contacted the police. As it turns out, though, that would just make him suspect number one. In many cases of abduction, the spouse or close family members are the first to be investigated and normally ruled out. With Al, it wasn't that easy. So far, we've been telling the story as he told it the second time. According to Unsolved Mysteries, that statement would change as the investigation continued. In his original statement, he'd claimed he'd given her the valley ticket outside the casino right after he'd gotten it. As we said before, he later claimed that he met up with her inside and gave it to her before heading out to catch a cab. Police had one thing in this case that couldn't lie, and that was the security footage from the casino that ran for 24 hours a day, every day. It showed that the beginning of Al's story was true. He met with the valet and went back into the casino just after 9 a.m. From there, his story didn't match up. It starts with his claim that he gave Gene the valet tickets in the casino, but Detective Thomas Ball, who worked with the LVMPD Laughlin substation, said that Gene wasn't seen in any of the tapes he looked at. His statement said, I have reviewed four of those tapes of the areas Mr. Henderson said they were in. In the tapes that I have reviewed, we did not see Jeannie or any of those tapes. 
He also later said, In examining the tapes for the time frame that Al gave us, 9.45 to approximately 10.15, the machine that he told security was her favorite machine, we did not see Al playing that machine. Al tried to discredit his statement by saying the wrong tape was looked at, but Detective Ball denies this. The biggest question, other than where's Gene, of course, was where were the couple between Monday, the 6th, and the day that they arrived, and Thursday, the 9th, the day the Gene was reported missing. A couple of weeks following Gene's disappearance, a friend of hers came forward to say that she saw the couple at a gas station in their hometown the day before Gene went missing. This would have put them 150 miles away from Laughlin, Nevada. This does seem to be a hard point to stand by, though. According to police, the witness was credible and was able to verify the time she saw him. She was heading to a school function at the time. But, according to Al, he's offered up many phone records that show calls being made around that time from Laughlin. Furthermore, Al's bookkeeper, Geraldine Fender, backed up his claim, saying she'd received calls from Al and Gene the day before Gene went missing. At the end of the day, it seems no one truly knows what happened to Jean. Her children and the police seem to believe that Al had a much larger part in her disappearance than he is letting on, but I'm not a judge or investigator, so I'll keep my opinion out of this. It isn't important. What is important is that Jean's case is still unsolved nearly 30 years later. If you have any information that can help close this case, don't hesitate to call the Nevada Crime Stoppers at 702 702- Three eight five 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 five. Before we begin talking about Star's case, I want to mention that we talk about drug addiction quite a bit in this case. With that said, I tried my best not to make it seem like Star was a bad person, nor did I try to downplay the seriousness of her addiction. Addiction is something I've seen many friends and family members deal with, so I know it's more than just wanting to get high. There will be links in the description to reach out for help if you or someone you know is dealing with addiction on any level. With that out of the way, let's begin. Star was just 25 years old on the 26th of April, 2000. She'd been living in Tucson up until 1999, but in 2000, she moved to Reno to stay with her grandmother. That year, she became a clerk at a small local pawn shop. Unfortunately, at this time, Star was alleged to fall into heavy drug addiction, the main one being meth. Because of this, most if not all of her paycheck went into fueling her addiction, which left her with little to no money for things like food or her bills. It's been reported that she turned to prostitution to cover other various costs of living. Of course, this lifestyle is incredibly dangerous, and from what I've read, it seems to have played a very large part in Star's disappearance. Coupled with this was the phone call between Star and her mother on the 25th of April, 2000. On the phone, Star stated she thought she was being followed, targeted, and that her phone had been tapped. She reportedly even made mention of moving back to Arizona, changing her name and appearance, starting a new life. An article from July 2001 states, Some of Palumbo's friends have told police that she is trying to change her identity to hide from people she allegedly owes money to for drugs. Later, it presents another theory. 
Others say she overdosed and her body is hidden in the desert. Still, others say she may have been killed. But at the time of this article, there was no physical evidence to back up either theory. No matter what theory you stand behind, the circumstances of her disappearance are very strange. It begins with an officer at the Reno Tahoe National Airport spotting Star in a restricted area of the airport just after 12 a.m. on the 26th of April 2000. She told the officer she was looking for her younger sister, who reportedly walked out onto the tarmac. The issue with this is that Star didn't have a younger sister. An article from December 2001 stated, Star rambled about a younger sister who didn't exist and left a car full of her clothing at the Reno Tahoe National Airport the night she disappeared. We'll come back to the car in a minute, but going back to the officer who found her, it's reported that he didn't believe her story, but despite this, dropped her off at the entrance of the Reno Hilton Hotel and Casino at 1.30 a.m. At the entrance of the casino was her last known location. She never checked into the hotel and has not made any contact with friends or family since that night. She was missing for 10 days before her grandmother reported her missing. At this time, Star wasn't living with her, but her grandmother said once the 10th day passed with no contact, she knew something was wrong. Star's car was discovered at the airport the day after she disappeared. Nearly all of her personal belongings were left inside, including her cell phone, purse, and $600 in cash. Also discovered were three emails sent to the White House with Star stating she believed the federal government was trying to kill her. Finally, a drawing of a woman who looked like Star but bound and gagged was discovered, along with two books about how to change your identity. The only believed sighting was from December in 2000. The owner of the Silver Dollar Casino in Elko claimed that Star became very anxious when she saw a man looking into the bar's window. Star left soon after, allegedly with another woman. That sighting hasn't been verified, unfortunately, so I don't want to say it was the last time she was seen. It's safe to assume the last person who saw her alive was the officer who dropped her off at the hotel. If you do believe you have anything that can help police in this case, don't hesitate. It seems that Star was in an incredibly fragile mindset at the time and could have been suffering from the early stages of some form of paranoia. I'm not an expert, but I know mental illness tends to show itself in the early 20s. This, coupled with her addiction to meth, could have made her incredibly vulnerable. When she went missing, she was a danger to herself. So, like I said, if you have anything that can help, report it. You can do so to the Reno Police Department at 775-334-2155. Sheriff's deputies were investigating the discovery Friday of the nude body of a woman in the Star Valley area, 40 miles east of here. Spokesman said the partially decomposed body was found by a rancher and his son. The woman, about 24 years old, was unidentified. The cause of death is undetermined. That short article was published the day following Star Valley Doe's discovery. At the time, there was very little known about her, where she was from, and who could have done this. As it seems, even 48 years later, we're all stuck at square one. 
Aside from that article, there are only three more online I can find that mention this case specifically. One of them was published and archived from 1998, which briefly mentions her case in a short extra detailing from some of Elko's biggest mysteries. The others are online articles from more recent years, 2009 and 2011, though that one was updated in 2015. From both of these, even given how recent one of them has been updated, we see the same information repeated. First, the young woman was shot twice, once in the left cheek and once more in her neck. The caliber was determined to be a .22. Secondly, the woman was said to have had a scar on her right knee and another scar consistent with an appendectomy. Her hair was just above her shoulders, about collar length according to the articles, and was a reddish brown. Only one fingerprint could be taken from the body, as decomposition had set in for quite some time. Dental records are also available. The only lead to have ever come from Star Valley's case is the report of a dark blue Volkswagen bug with Tennessee plates that was seen around the area on the 7th of July, just one week before the body of Star Valley Doe was discovered. Given how badly decomposed the body was, it's safe to assume she'd been left in the area just off Dennis Flats Road the same day that VW Bug was seen. With that said, some outlets have said that she could have been out there for a matter of months. If that was the case and the person with the VW Bug was the person who took her life, it's possible they were coming back to visit the scene. The road she was found on was said to be well known by locals, though those unfamiliar with the area would have a very hard time finding it. Perhaps, and I am theorizing here, the person who killed the Star Valley Doe was someone making a trip back home to Tennessee when they came across a young woman walking down the highway. They pulled over and offered her a ride before taking down Dennis Flats Road and taking her life. The person could have been in Nevada on business, visiting a loved one, or any other number of reasons, but it seems fairly likely that they were just passing through. The Star Valley Doe has never been claimed by anyone in the area, nor has she been compared to other missing persons cases in the area, so it's possible that she left home on her own accord with plans of traveling out as far as she could. Hitchhiking was far more common then than it is now. Her parents or friends would have known her to have this type of reckless personality and may not have reported her missing before it was too late. Again, this is all me speculating, so take it with a grain of salt. In the end, none of us know what happened to the Star Valley Jane Doe, except the person who did it. If you do believe you know who this woman could be, or know the names of anyone who could be involved, anything that can help police, don't hesitate to report it. You can call the Elko Crime Stoppers at 702-385-5555. I want to give a quick thank you to everyone who took some time out of their day, afternoon, or evening to listen to this video or watch this video, wherever you may be. Um, if you just want the audio, you can check it out over on Anchor. Link will be in the top of the description as well as the top comment. If you want to get videos a day in advance, you can check out the Patreon page or you can become a member. Dollar a month gets you videos a day in advance. Um, also, if you want to support the channel, 
Being a member, a patron helps a lot, but you can get yourself something from the Teespring store. We have uh, Take Care merch. We have Pride merch. We have face masks, hoodies, stickers, coffee mugs, phone cases. I mean, there's a lot over there. But, um, yeah, so thank you, everyone, for taking some time to listen to these cases tonight. And thanks for all the incredible support lately. We're almost at 200,000 subscribers as of this recording, which is absolutely insane. Um, But thanks again for all the incredible support. And uh, just take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And as always, stay safe out there.